calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Daniel is my friend. We worked together, often on long afternoons and after everything had already been shelved and dusted and customers were few and far between. And we would talk. My Anya grew up in a, a grim and violent era. She welcomed Anyanka into her heart, into her soul, out of hurt and rage. She and Anyanka were one, and as one, they sought vengeance for hundreds of women and girls who had been betrayed or hurt. There was little room for nuance back in those days, and it took generations for Anya to learn there was a different way of living. So if you are anything like the Anya I knew, you are not the same woman who first merged with that vengeance demon. Trust in who you've become, because it's what you choose to do now that matters. Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where sometimes the baby is asleep in the next room <laughs> and we are listening to and discussing every episode of Slayer's A Buffyverse Story, one by one, spoiler free, and on the tale of seven whole seasons of coverage of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, wow. featuring one original song for every episode and sexual tension awards for every episode. <laughs> And you're just making a list now. The beautiful friendship, uh, which one, in one best direction, friend, one second one, best friend, one best friend, and one second best friend. I am the best friend, <laughs> Jenny Owen Young. Uh, and uh, by default, of course, that would make me the second best friend. 
Kristen Russo. I would really love to know who's in the first slot, honestly. Don't you chew on that one. Tell me who comes ahead of me. Is it John Mark? Is it John Mark? Is it editor of the podcast, John Mark Nelson? I'm not at liberty to say. <laughs> I want everyone but to there know. there are many, many contenders. Um, first of all, this is the one where will the sunlight spell actually work? Is Drusilla about to get dusted in the sun? Are Papianka, what did I name them? Jaspianka, Jaspianka. Are they going to get separated? Um, all of that and more. But what I really want to tell you, honestly, is that uh, the reason that Jenny was so quiet at the intro, yes, there is a sleeping baby in her house across the wall. But for the last few weeks, something insane has happened where I was talking off mic, but the mic was on about a gift that we were maybe going to get for our editor John Mark Nelson. And um, I made a joke about like, oh, what will we get for John Mark? Because I knew he'd be listening to edit and Jenny forgot. And she said, weren't we talking about getting him a bottle of and then realized that he'd be listening and for some reason said sperm. (laughs) And so... I'm just trying to throw him off the scent. We've <laughs> gross. So we've been um, really hamming it up before the actual podcast, <laughs> it, joking about this beautiful glistening bottle of sperm that we're going to give John Mark for Christmas. <laughs> and um, right before we counted in today, with I did not pre-plan it at all, but I just started singing jars of sperm, jars of sperm <laughs> in the jingle bell cadence. And Jenny laughed. so She honked, as a matter of fact. <laughs> she laughed so hard and then panicked. Really got me. And, and I think that, Jenny, your math is that if you do something really loud, then if you're just like extra quiet for a little while, it'll like even out the loud thing that happened before it. That's my theory. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, um, you know, perhaps now you know everything. Now you know everything. Perhaps someday we'll give you the uh, blooper reel of all of the off mic uh, torture that we've put poor John Mark Nelson through for <laughs> absolutely no good reason whatsoever. <laughs> anyway, I mean, of all the people I got at jars of sperm for this year. <laughs> John Mark is not among them. Honestly, nothing nothing sits so nicely under a tree than a beautifully wrapped <laughs> jar of sperm. Uh, this episode was written and directed by Amber Benson and Christopher Golden and co-directed and produced by Casey Wayland. It originally aired in a full season binge drop on October 12, 2023. All right. We got. Uh, we only have one left after this, Jenny. Uh, big thoughts on this episode. Big thoughts uh, in general before we dive into the scene by scene party. My my only big thought is like out of my way. Let me get to the next episode because I want to know what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. I think my big thought on this episode because I've been I've been talking a big talk about. Once I got to seven, then, then things started really picking up for me, and I was tearing through eight and nine. And I, I have a feeling that nine is going to be more of a banger for me because I I did not remember that there was as much exposition in eight. I kind of, in my mind, since I remembered, like, just shuttling through the last few, I was like, oh, maybe the reason was that, like, the heavy exposition lift was done in the first five or six. And so then I was just like, 
flying through. I, I felt free of it a bit in the last episode, but this episode, um, again, it's a different listen when you sit and you take notes. So there's that. But this episode felt heavy again with exposition and some of it that I wasn't really sure why we were getting another time because it sometimes I panic Jenny because like I have talked about a thing and then I I hear it again in the like exposition pieces of the episode and I'm like did I say that that was the reason before we learned it or did we learn it and we're learning it again <laughs> and I, I don't even know at this point but I liked this episode there does seem to be a rule being observed where it's like if you say something once you have to say it twice yeah to like have the listener absorb it which yeah. is interesting because when we like nit, not nitpick, but like when we kind of fine tooth comb a television episode, um, it's less, at least in our experiences of Buffy and the X-Files, it's less common for something to be repeated. Um, I don't have a lot of experience mm-hmm. of something being repeated. And maybe, um, you know, there's there is a perceived uh, need to do that because you don't have the visual cues. Maybe like, you know, Mm -hmm. the feeling is like your ears need to hear something twice sometimes to make sure you capture it. So I'm not sure. But um, my big thoughts on on this episode are I enjoyed elements of it. Uh, We opened with the Giles clip. Um, Giles talking about Anya and sort of her journey as a vengeance demon. And I think that. That was one of my favorite parts of this whole episode, um, and we can talk more to that when we get to that part. But for now, are we done forever with Spike's monologues? It's starting to seem like we are. <laughs> Unless the next episode begins with him monologuing from outside the magic box. <laughs> Honestly, I would Reminding love it. us of everything that happened in this episode, <laughs> in the next episode, right before they bust the door down. <laughs> Uh, instead, we get Anya and Anyanka and Jasper, who uh, realize that the longer they, that feeling when the longer you stay merged with someone, the deeper your merging becomes, you know, a queer culture at its finest. Queer culture, <laughs> to be certain. Um, yeah, they're talking about the merger. They're, we're inside Anya's mind. That is where the script places us. And Anya, Anyanka, and Jasper are, yes, uh, <laughs> Jasper in his limited abilities. Uh, they're all conferring about the merger while Giles and Clem we imagine are working on things outside um Anyanka's being very um blunt and <laughs> maybe a little self-absorbed and Anya says no wonder you've been single for so long to which Anyanka replies I am not single I am without a host by design which of course would be my tinder bio if I got on tinder <laughs> right now <laughs> Ah, I think the kids are on hinge these days, Jenny. Oh, whatever. I mean, who can a who can keep up? Yeah. B. I'm a happily married man. <laughs> I'm trying to. I, I don't for no reason. I was trying to think of the combination of Tinder and Hinge, and I was like Tinder, Hinder, <laughs> Tinder, Hinder. Hinder. Uh, my favorite part of this Anya Anyanka Jasper scene is. When Anya totally drags on Yanka and is like, the fact that you had the power to make a body for yourself and you chose one that looks like <laughs> mine. <laughs> I mean, given the option, wouldn't so many of us <laughs> it's true. It's choose true. to look like Anya? I just thought it was um, a good burn. Not the best burn in the episode, though. I cannot wait to get to the best burn, Jenny. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Anya accuses Anyanka of wanting to be human. Anyanka accuses Anya of missing the power of being a vengeance demon. These two sound like they are going to merge any second. Remerge, you know, uh, demerge and remerge. Yeah. Uh, do you know what the word bloviating means? Because it's said, and I didn't look it up because I figured maybe you would know, but I do love the word, whatever it means. It's one of those words that I feel like I know what it means when I hear it, but that, uh, okay, good, I was right. Yes. <laughs> uh, talk at length, bloviate, talk at length, especially in an inflated or empty way. It kind of like sounds like what it is like as a podcaster You're like, i am uh, want to bloviate <laughs> whoa 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 <laughs> we talk at length for very good Im- culturally important <laughs> vital reasons <laughs> okay so back in the magic box giles and clem just like you suspected jenny are uh talking about making summoning circles to get these three separate from each other we get we get another, and Clem says he's repeating, or you know, it's called out that Clem is repeating this bit. This I'm here for. Clem is Clem's obsession about talking about the fly and always um, underlining that he's talking about the Jeff. He is talking about the Jeff Goldblum version, not the Vincent Price version, or is it the other way around? See, he does need to repeat himself more. Yes, he means the Jeff Goldblum one. Yeah. And Jenny, I don't know. I can't make any promises about my time this season. Uh, it is uh, tis the season, whatever that means. And perhaps I thought, what if it means that um, I pick a couple? What if there is time for me to pick a couple of nights to hang out in the Discord and watch both of these versions of The Fly? Because I've never seen The Fly before. And oh, man. The Fly saw, is, yeah. I saw the Jeff Goldblum one when I was much too young to have seen it, and it haunted me for much of my youth and I will not rewatch it I even though wa- watching it now would probably it would just be probably pretty silly I have no idea what it's about I imagine someone becomes a fly uh, that's what my guess is some a man becomes a fly um I think if I remember correctly he's trying to uh perfect teleporting Mm. which requires uh, deatomization <laughs> of the human body and reatomization. But, uh-oh, what if there was a fly in the transporter <gasps> oh, shit. when you press the button? <laughs> okay, that's fun. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's uh, Mulder was watching the fly earlier in our X-Files coverage of season one, and now Clem keeps talking about it. So I'm just like, it seems like the oh, universe. Mulder was watching the Vincent Price one? yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to know. I'd like to be able to comment on uh, which one was more powerful for me and uh, why. <laughs> All right. Um, listen, Giles comes back. He has the book. Great job, Giles. Clem is hanging out with Jasper. Poof, Giles is back with the Kurgan book. What luck. He tells us a bunch of stuff. I have it uh, bulleted. I don't. If you have it bulleted, please go ahead. But if... if... <laughs> Kurgan was the youngest watcher ever ordained by the council. His name was stricken from their records. Kurgan worked with a slayer named Berenice, who collaborated with a white witch and used her blood to separate Kurgan's body from the grimoire. His body died free, but his soul stayed in the book. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> how so does, much is going on here how does a body die free if the soul is in the book I, that's the thing that like really threw me I was like do, isn't what we all care about generally speaking with narratives about death the soul like I, 
And then there's also talk of a mind. Like there's a body, mind, and soul all involved in this lore, which is just a little bit confusing to me. But the Berenice stuff does um, seem important by the time we get to the end of this episode. I also thought... Would the Watchers Council have really kicked this guy out just because he was getting a little close to dark magic? Because as I remember it, Giles, uh, his nickname was Ripper. Um, he was not erased from any of the history books. Uh, right, and... right. But it's unclear when Giles joined the Watchers Council. I kind of got the impression that he uh, had a rowdy youth. Oh, and then? And then reformed and joined the Watchers Council. I don't. I don't know if that... I don't know. I don't think that it's ever uh, directly addressed in the show. It might be somewhere in the canonical comics or mm. elsewhere. Well, lucky for you, Jenny. Someone listening mm. knows, and they can email I know. us. I can hear them emailing us right now. Clickety clack. Clickety clack. Um, also, Kurgan. So we already know about Kurgan's research. He's trying to figure out this whole like sunlight vampires relationship. You know, over here we study. One orgasm plus true love equals negative one soul kind of math. But Kurgan, he wants to understand the math equation when you put vampires in sunlight in the bin. Sure, sure, sure. But he, the reason, then this was the thing I was worried that maybe I accidentally spoiled. Because I think last episode I talked about vampires maybe not being able to touch the book. I don't know if we knew no, that. No, but that was something, that's something that's been in the mix. It has, okay. That was identified as the reason that they got... Tara. Tara. I can't remember who talks about it earlier in the series, but uh, someone mentions it, but then we get it again yeah. in this episode from a different angle. Yeah, and the reasoning is that he thinks that he he casts this spell that will dust a vampire because he thinks vampires will find out what he's doing and they won't want to be, quote, tamed. Vampires, the Miley Cyrus of their time, uh, <laughs> simply can't be tamed. So to keep them away... He puts a curse on this book. Um, and Perfect. Then, Flawless. Not to, not to like, whatever. I mean, we're here to talk about the lore. We're here to talk about the story. I'm um, obviously, both of us are confused about the divide between body, mind, and soul in this with the idea that his body died clean and free. But I'm also confused about this um, moment in this scene where it's declared that the the, since his soul is in the book, the grimoire is Kurgan. Because by that math, the orb of Thessala was angel. Like, if a soul is trapped inside of a thing, it doesn't mm. make the thing. I mean, I guess this thing has words inside of it. So, like, that's the well, line. Well, it seems like he is able to mm. seep into people who use the book, whereas Angel Soul was just trapped in the orb. Right. Kurgan's soul can walk around a bunch, do what it wants if given the right environment. Make its own notes. <laughs> yeah, well, and that becomes key to the rest of this episode. Um, Cordelia and Indira return. Hooray. I love the doorbell jingling and Clem saying, I hope that isn't someone we have to fight. <laughs> Honestly, a moment for James Leary, truly, because... We talk about Leia as Indira a bunch and like the talent that she has and how it integrates into this. She is one of, I think, the characters that can deliver exposition in a way where it never feels like that. James's character, you know, Clem doesn't have like a huge expositional lift, but his work is so good. It's just 
he just makes me laugh all the time. And when I listen, sometimes my like litmus test for things too is when I listen with my current wife. You know, she's not really paying. She has no stake in the game. She's she doesn't need to make a podcast about it. She's just casually listening, paying attention to whatever she wants to pay attention to. And it's always Indira's remarks and Clem's remarks that she like <laughs> vocally responds to, you know, and laughs out loud to, which is how I feel like. I don't know. The measurement of like their power inside of this universe is pretty big. So Vanthi's a Clem head. I love it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. Meanwhile, at Drusilla's lair, I'm confused. Tara's draining a witch and Spike is like, you enjoy this, don't you? And Drew is like, be nice, Spike. And I'm like, why? Aren't they all supposed to be evil? So why would anybody care if somebody thought Tara enjoyed draining a witch and why is Drew saying that's mean don't say I'm just so confused about this moment yeah it's a little bit I wish because okay the word thruple is written into the script it's actually spelled I guess I can't really declare if it's spelled wrong but I always thought thruple had the OU just like couple but in the script it's just a U thruple Anyway, the word thruple is said out loud in the show, and I kind of wish... <laughs> Let me tell you, when you just Google the word thruple... <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, let me just add dictionary to the search. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we're, we're, we're showing... Oh, both spellings as being accepted. Okay, all right. I guess I just... To your point, Spike has been resurrected. He's evil. He um, is, you know, returning to Drusilla. Drusilla's kind of being an asshole to Tara. So I kind of wish either we went clean and hard. Sorry, I didn't mean to phrase it like that. On mm-hmm. <laughs> on Drew just fucking over Tara. And that, that's it, right? And we didn't get any of this, like, wishy-washy stuff from Drew. She does not feel like a wishy-washy character at all to me or that we just canned the whole competition thing right at the outset um and didn't have and just had evil be the the shared goal and so there's not as much of a like you just kept her bed warm and like uh, battling you know like just save that for another piece I don't know I don't know I haven't worked it all out but it just I think the biggest thing that rubs me the wrong way is that in this scene, like you said, Drusilla is sort of like, be nice to Tara. And Tara's like, you just locked me in a dungeon. And I'm like, exactly. What are we doing, Drusilla? Yeah. And then Spike takes this sort of like moralistic or like at the very least, like sort of haughty position that like Tara's like addicted to magic. As we all know, magic is (laughs) drugs and sex and some other stuff. Don't worry about it. And <laughs> rock and roll, of course. Uh, but Spike's reliance on blood is like survival oriented and therefore fine. Yeah. Uh, but hey, they're running low on witches. So Tara's going to have to make do with what she's had. Um, <laughs> we have McDonald's at home. <laughs> Drusilla kind of challenges her and is like, well, you're going to have to drain Anya. It's going to come to that. And Tara's like, yeah, I'm fine with it. Can't wait to see her empty husk. And Drusilla's like, I should have always trusted you. And I'm like, I don't feel like that is warranted, Drusilla. You you can say whatever you want, but until I see the empty husk of- The uh, empty husk. Show me the empty husk. Show me the empty Be husk. Be the empty husk you want to see in the world. You don't get my trust until I see the empty husk. That's how it is to date Kristen Russo. <laughs> You don't get my trust until I see the empty husk is 
a shirt I would like. I was gonna say, to put it on a shirt or a hat. I'll take either. <laughs> okay. All right, but Tara Tara does mention here that she thinks that Cordelia was let out of her cell by Indira. So right. Tara doesn't trust Indira. Right. Drew should have always trusted Tara. Spike is looking down his nose at everyone. Spike just wants to have sex with Drusilla. Okay, so in the training room, behind the magic box shop, uh, Cordelia and Indira are sparring with Bakken, which are wooden sparring swords. And Kristen, I'm on a website right now that sells, <laughs> that sells Bakken. And I was wondering if you would approve a company expense <laughs> of two Bakken for me and two Bakken for you. Oh, you need two Bakken each? Well, no, but I figured we live four hours apart, so we oh, won't so always, we'll get to always spar have with each a other. set of Bakken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, how much is one Bakken, Jenny? At uh, the low, low price of twenty four ninety nine for the entry level model. So <laughs> that's fifty bucks each. Okay, for okay. A pair. Sure, I can. Uh, I can approve the cost for some holiday Bakken, if you will. Holiday Bakken. <laughs> Bakken around yeah. the Christmas tree. <laughs> Bakken's placed on the chimney with care. That's right. Yeah. Great. Um, I'm so glad that this happened. Uh, we're gonna. I'm going to watch The Fly for the first time, and both of us are going to have two Bakken apiece. And both of our wives wait. will be so annoyed with us constantly because of our Bakken. Mm, actually, the majority of the swords and knives in my house are... Jess's. You better so. not. You better not fight her. Hers are metal. No, I would never. You're no. But I that's mean, that's why I need two Bakken's so that she can she have can Bakken with can you. Have and yeah, they always right. say Bakken the one. Ba- no, if you can't Bakken with the one with whom you podcast, <laughs> Bakken with the one you're with and love. <laughs> Isn't that what they always say? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like the like less we have to talk about content wise, the better the podcast becomes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe better. In better for me anyway. <laughs> I'm having a great time. Okay, so Bakken, we've covered it. Sean Connery, I've never seen this movie. It's called The Name of the Rose. I looked it up. I couldn't even. Yeah, I couldn't even successfully Google. I will say, as I'm picturing. The sound of the swords. I know this can't be why they're called Bakken, but I feel like they go like Bak, 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 when they strike each other. That's the sound of two wooden sparring swords. Honestly, it's also the sound Co- of a cartoon colliding. chicken. So I know, but it's like not a sung Bak. It's a spoken Bak. Yeah. You know, I feel like chickens are more like Bak. Okay. <laughs> this is very cool podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so just so you know, I found the Sean Connery movie by Googling Sean Connery nuns. So I don't know. Maybe there's multiple (laughs) movies with Sean Connery and nuns, and this is not referring to the name of the rose. But um, I guess what we are to take from this scene are a few things. One, Indira is pretty fucking strong. I mean, Cordelia has been a slayer for like 112 years in this universe. You know, like she is stayed alive through uh, everything so the fact that Indira has been a slayer for a hot minute and bests Cordelia I mean you she you know I don't think that she could like kill Cordelia or you know in a battle but like the fact that she gets Cordelia right at the jump um is pretty incredible and surprises the shit out of Cordelia 
And we learned that Indira has done some martial arts training and that she did a lot of dance. Um, and so the combination of those two things has also helped her. Uh, yeah, see. she's not only, you know, preternaturally strong and trained in the fighting arts, but she can also give the vampires the old razzle dazzle <laughs> if it comes right down to it. Fucking Uber Vamp. What's his name? Why can't I remember his name? <laughs> Turrican. Turrican. We'll never see Indira coming. They're going to have a show stopping number when we get to their battle scene. Yeah, I'm seeing top hats. I'm seeing canes. I'm seeing a little soft shoe. Um, uh, they also talk about Indira's, uh, fear that perhaps the spell worked. This is, you know, uh, giving us the listener the, we, cause we did actually talk about it on our own in episode seven. What if it works? She does have magic. Why wouldn't it have worked? So this is really underlining. What if it worked? I, right. whatever. I would prefer to just go in being like, but what if it worked than to even have them wonder about it? I, I kind of like the idea of just uh, accidentally finding out that it fucking worked, but um, mm -hmm. I don't know. And then there's a conversation about is Spike bad? Did Spike. Is Spike bad? Mm -hmm. uh, Indira's like, you spared him. Cordelia's like, no, I was aiming for his heart. Bullshit, Cordelia. Bullshit. <laughs> And also, it should she should have aimed for his back. Like, I don't think that Cordelia in this moment should have to defend the fact that she didn't kill him. Even if she's doubting him, I don't think that's a reason to just decide he's... Like, they don't have information enough on either side of this, um, you know, situation. I think she's only denying it to herself, really. Yeah, okay, that's fair. So Cordelia says something to, to make Indira think... Cordelia is sending Indira back to her reality when this is all said and done, so long as she lives. And Indira's like, what gives? And Cordelia has this moment, which I really like, so I'd love to play the sound clip so we can all listen in together. Being a slayer means you're stronger, faster, and more durable. But you are not immortal. If you're still breathing when this fight is over, then you go back to your world. A world where there's hundreds of girls just like you. And that's when you train. You train harder, you get better, you get tougher, you get faster, you get smarter. You find the most badass slayer in your world and you fight her. And only when you can hold your own against her, beat her like it's nothing. Only then, if you still want to come back here and help me take care of my world, I'd be damn grateful to have you. Okay, so tell me uh, why you're into this. I think I like that Cordelia, what I feel in my heart is that Cordelia isn't really saying like, go back and like prove to me that you're the best. Prove to me that you can fight and battle with the strongest people in your reality and come back. I think that Cordelia knows uh, that Indira is an incredibly strong slayer. And I think she wants her to be in an environment where she can do these things and then come back. And I also think that it's Cordelia's way of saying, like, I want to keep you alive. Um, because I think that Indira's odds of surviving the kind of battles that Cordelia seems to be fighting in her reality um, and surviving are a lot higher if she does this does these things, you know, go and train and train and train, get better. Use the people around you that are strong and can fight like you to get to be the best at your craft and then fucking come back here and we will mm -hmm. just rip shit up, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I don't know. 
Okay, I totally hear you. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially on, you know, her wanting Indira to, like, really train up so that, because Cordelia, like, cares about Indira and doesn't want her to die. But um, this just seems like a horrible mismanagement of resources. Yeah. One reality <laughs> has limitless slayers. One reality has one slayer who, honestly, no offense to anybody, but is not getting any younger. Yeah. And uh, we don't have any data on the impacts of aging on a slayer but we do have data on impacts of aging on <laughs> being not being a slayer and it's pretty rough exactly <laughs> and i'm just saying like i'm gonna guess that especially because slayers don't tend to live <laughs> past like their late teens or early 20s um it's just probably not you know it's not like you're getting stronger mm-hmm. or more flexible yeah um let indira <laughs> Stay. Help. And honestly, bring some of her friends. Yeah, honestly, funnel a couple of these slayers over to this reality. Also, can't they just tell them where to find this? Like, can't they just tell her where to find her scythe? Oh, my God. That's such a good point. <laughs> Why not? Um, maybe this is Cordelia's actual plan. She's like, go back to your reality. Make friends with a bunch of other slayers. <laughs> bring them back here. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> all right so uh, i love that indira is like you like me you can't help it you want to be my mentor and train me <laughs> honestly just a more incredible delivery from leia because it is perfect it's perfect okay so um back at the magic box um we hear that cordelia growled at clem and this is wonderful for two reasons one because it happened and two because giles is like based on my math of meeting two cordelias it does seem that they growl (laughs) i like this uh i celebrate it Mm -hmm. clem really hung up on a lot of retired snacks I know. I was thinking, like, do you think we and we didn't ask them. We should have. But I, I was wondering if like Chris or Amber or Casey or someone else in the room just happens to be like a collector of retired snack yeah. items because it's such a bizarre thing. It's like it, it, twice we have these like very specific references to things that have gone away. Why didn't yeah, we yeah. ask them, Jenny? Horrible journalist. I regret it. Okay, so this is where, and you already, I think, referenced this, Jenny. Giles says that he thinks that Kurgan may be the one. That, oh, this is my favorite burn. Uh, Giles is saying that he thinks Kurgan is the one that made these notes. And he says, the notes Tara made inside it are very precise and powerful, which leads me to believe they're not really Tara's. <laughs> Giles! This, this, this uh, struck me as well, especially... Because they're not even from the same reality. He doesn't even know this, Tara. He doesn't. But it was, like, written as though they almost didn't realize what a burn it was. Like, it didn't even feel like Giles. Like, it didn't feel like anyone was. The notes were good, which led me to conclude that Tara could not possibly have made that. Like, what? Uh... Um, I'm, yeah, I'm shocked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I do have a giant LOL written in the script because, <laughs> wow, ouch. Obviously, uh, this is not what was meant. Um, and we can extrapolate just based on like the vibes that um, the intention was 
you know that th- there's something going up maybe it's something watcherly um yeah, it would be, but that was, that. Would, there's such an easy fix for that. Just have Giles have seen the notes and some of the words and stuff are oldie timey words, you know, just like. Yeah, yeah. Or like Kurgan's handwriting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which he, which he, he saw samples of in the uh, Descent of Ooh, Kurgan. Oh, yeah. Or like all of the notes in the margins uh, sound like this. <laughs> That's my favorite option. <laughs> um, uh, cool. I love it. Um, okay. Clem and Giles are talking through Spike's possible loss of loyalty. And literally everyone has got to talk about Spike's possible wavering loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, did he double cross them? Or does he have his own reasons for the gem of Amara stuff? And this is... Kristen, did you say this in the last episode that we taped? That like the gem of Amara is a great way to keep Drusilla alive in the sunlight and make her think that the spell worked. Yeah. Kind of deal. Yeah. If she happens to forget that she's wearing the gem of Amara, does she know what the gem of Amara does? She does. I think they talk about it in, because be, she does because they, in their reality, they've thought it's been a legend the whole time, but she knows right, 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 what right, it right. would do if she found it. And then that she found it. But yes, we did. We did talk about that a little bit. And my romantic notions that perhaps Spike gave Drusilla the gem of Amara so that even though the spell didn't work, she wouldn't die. That is very romantic. Thank you. Uh, and then the, the other big thing in this scene is is just this idea that um, Berenice, who was uh, Kurgan's slayer trainee or whatever, uh, seemed impervious to the grimoire and this you know is all rooted in the like we don't understand the blood of a slayer we don't understand everything about being a slayer but <gasps> if wait isn't there another slayer who did something with the grimoire recently <laughs> dun, dun, dun. it's indira so indira seems to be impervious to the grimoire as well i'm I, like sometimes i'm like do i even say another thing i'm confused about but i just if Kurgan's soul Kurgan only has one soul it's not like the book has d- dozens of Kurgan souls so fine i i like the lore that if berenice was impervious then indira might be as well but i don't think that indira using the grimoire and not getting another Kurgan in her a Kurgan is already in terra if the grimoire which contains a soul has an orgasm while it's in true love. Does it lose its soul? Does the is the soul um, removed? Yeah. Well, the, that's actually the thing that gives the I like want to I mean, stop talking so badly and like can't stop myself. But I was going to say the thing that gives the book an <laughs> orgasm is a witch, which is why. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Kurgan is Romanian, so it could be there could be some oh shit curse crossover curse yeah. over curse over. Anyway. Clem has some <laughs> tiny doubts about Spike, which, mm, let me tell you what, Jenny, Clem would never. No, 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 no. Clem no. would never doubt Spike. A, because no, no, he no, loves no, no. his abs, and B, because they're fucking best friends. They're best friends. Best friends forever. Yeah. Okay. Um, then we learned something. Mm. Uh, Anyanka asserts that she and Anya are both holding things back from each other. Right. And then also, (laughs) we get this knowledge bomb from Anyanka, which Giles then confirms. 
uh, about sort of like Anya no while being merged previously uh, with Anyanka, Anya knew every wish that Anyanka granted, and if she truly wanted, she could have stopped it. Yeah. So the the person inhabited by the vengeance demon has some agency as well. But they but because Anya like what led Anya to invite Anyanka into her uh to begin with was, you know, a thirst for, for vengeance. vengeance. Uh which they just sort of coasted on together for some odd thousand years. Yeah. Yeah, and we played this clip at the jump at the top of the episode um, where Giles is saying, you know, that Anya was his friend um, and that Anya grew up in a grim and violent era. Uh, so to your point, Jenny, she welcomed Anyanka into her heart. And we opened with a clip. I found it really interesting, this idea that like when really it's odd, right? It's it's not even Anya. Like Anya is who odd is after Anyanka has been merged and unmer- uh, no, just merged um, into odd. But regardless, that at the time of that merging, uh, odd or Anya was living in a time when really probably the only option to uh, fight back against a lot of the injustices that women faced at that time was to literally be violent. Like there was no there 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 were no other options um, sort of like a, a killer be killed for lack of a, a better phrasing. But that as she journeyed and as time passed, uh, the the battle changed, you know, and that like there's more nuance now than there was then. Uh, and it isn't necessarily a literal kill or be killed anymore. There are differing circumstances. So that, as that time progressed and, and, you know, Giles says it took generations for Anya to learn that there was a different way um, of living. And, and I, I just found that interesting. I, I Again, you yeah. know, we talked a little bit last week or maybe two weeks ago about um, some of the things that we find are what make the Buffyverse the Buffyverse. And I think something like this, like this is the kind of like lore or like history or some combination therein that I like the most in the Buffyverse uh, because it's a commentary on you know, what it was like perhaps to be a woman uh, centuries ago and what it's like to be a woman currently and how those things are different and what they share uh, still. And, and that I, I think that that is lovely. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. 
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Uh, Jenny, before we go to the next scene, I think one of my favorite parts in this episode, honestly, is that uh, Giles is like, okay, Anya, this is how you think about being Anya. Um, you, everybody in this uh, pile of humans and dogs Ugh. that's merged together has to kind of like really think about who they are for this spell to work. And he's like, how? I don't really actually know how to do that with a dog. And Clem is like, I have fucking got this. Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? <laughs> to Jasper. <laughs> and I think it's perfect. Aww. If I ever become merged with Frank, and I really hope it doesn't happen. You're fucked, honestly, because if if we said to the merging of you and Frank, who's a good boy, I honestly think you'd both respond the same. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, at Drusilla's lair, Spike and Tara are um, having a little argument about whose girl Drusilla is. And yeah, stuff. don't I don't I don't need it. And Tara's like, "Who are you, really?" Hmm. And Spike tries his like most used tactic, which is flirt with the person he's <laughs> yeah. speaking to. He's like, "Uh, <laughs> usually when I'm in a uncomfortable position, I just get really I just try to ooze sex." He just is like pointing to his own cheekbones, like <laughs> tilting yeah, them up yeah, toward the yeah, moonlight. Check these out. Uh, pulling yeah. his uh, t-shirt up to reveal his <laughs> rippling abs. Yeah. Um, and Tara's like, "You're not my type," and he's like, "You're not my type either." I don't even know why, but I tried. I do like this line that Tara has in this scene. Um, she says. There is no old me. There is just me. Just like even outside of the whole storyline, I just thought it was like a good line, a fun line of like, because I I do really wonder what is happening with Tara. You know, like Mm -hmm. if we get to see uh, Tara without Kurgan, will Tara be irreversibly changed in ways that maybe are really great for her? Question mark. No more zigzag parts. No more zigzag parts. Um, and I think she has Imagine line all leader. of the vending machines she could move right now. <laughs> wow. Her and Drusilla definitely moved more, I think, than a vending machine. They probably... What would Drusilla and Tara move with their sexy magic? Well, all I can think of is at the end of season six when Willow is darkly raising a satanic temple from Fuck, underneath yeah. the ground. <laughs> It's way better than what my mind conjured, which was a lot of cats all at the same time. <laughs> Why? Kristen, no. But like gently. Like when I, I thought it and I was such like, a thing but they're as fine. The cats are too fine. gay. <laughs> it's my brand. Brand I strong. Know. Oh, so this line that I was, uh, I, I knew there was a line that Tara said, and, and it I think is what informed me thinking like, will Tara post Kurgan like find some strength that maybe will be good for her if there is a post Kurgan Tara? Sometimes I think about the sentences I'm saying and I'm like, who, what? <laughs> if there is a post Kurgan Tara, shut up, sure, Kristen. Yes. 
Um, but she says in this scene um, that there's more to what she's doing than just pleasing Drusilla. She says, I want freedom to love to hate, to take what I want when I want it. Faith Lahane much. She, yeah, wants to want and take and have. Yeah. And like, we know our Tara and she was fairly timid uh, in many ways and I think grew as the series progressed. So like, maybe... Maybe this Tara will get to want, take, and have, and I would love to see it. I would celebrate it. Okay, merge in your mind, if you will, Kristen. I've got a pitch. Okay. Do you remember on Friends uh, when Joey was writing his um, script for officiating Monica and Chandler's wedding? Spoilers for Friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. You remember how he's like, to have and to hold... Uh, to want him to take <laughs> he just like he writes like seven paragraphs in which he just repeats the words uh, having holding giving receiving etc 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 over and over and over again now imagine faith just being like to want and to take and thus to have with all of this wanting and taking and ultimately having. I like the idea of it being a combo where it's like to want, to take, to have, and to hold, you know? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Tara's like, ooh, Indira, suppose Tara's all about casting doubt right now. She's like, Indira supposedly raised Spike from the dead, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but she can't sense the kind of power on Indira that would have been required to complete the resurrection spell. Okay, interesting. And Mr. Pickles, you remember him, indicates that Spike does not smell like the old Spike. And here, let me just take you through my process while I was listening to this the first time before I was taking notes. I was like, before I got to the end of the episode in real time, I was like, okay, so last week I was trying to figure out if the angry British man in the dungeon is James Marsters, if it's some other version of Spike. So I was like, before I got here, before I got to Tara being like not knowing mm-hmm. right i was like what if tara uh did the spell like got tricked into doing the spell from the grimoire got possessed by kurgan and then started like getting up to no good was like i'm going to imprison somehow i'm going to imprison spike but like cast a glamour on someone that cordelia can behead so Ooh. drusilla will think that spike is dead and then i can like slip in there with my exhilarating fingers or whatever and <laughs> Not my words, Kristen. Not my words. Gross. And <laughs> and and as you may recall, Drusilla specifically says when it w- it came time to entomb Spike. Uh, right. The, the, this was like a this was a peculiar way to say it because she was like, well, we all know vampires are dusted right when they turn into dust but she was like i couldn't find any like you were just dust okay what sure yeah why oh yeah she says something about the small amount of dust or something right yeah 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 and then that she basically just like scoops up whatever she could find which was not much and takes the duster and buries that so so here so i guess it wasn't tara because she doesn't seem to know what's going on but did someone else i'm just like who Mm -hmm. did this okay and and how did they get cordelia to think that she actually killed spike Spike. or maybe uh, cordelia is responsible which was such a big reach but i'm just like 
uh, scrambling in my brain, desperately trying to figure out who, <laughs> who besides Tara has something to gain from this scenario that I've cooked up in my mind. Yeah. Uh, but no answers yet. Maybe possibly answers next week, even if the answer is that's just an angry British man. Just <laughs> um, I would like to, I can't comment uh, because I don't, you know, I don't trust myself to really dig in here without Fair. revealing or uh, without confirming or denying any of these things. But um, I do want to say that, Obviously, the Spike and Drew love story is uh, wonderful, and I delight in it. Uh, Spike has some lines that are very delicious, very Spike lines uh, that I just wanted to call out in this scene when he's talking about Drew. I don't don't love the, like, she's mine, she's mine, that Drew is mine uh, situation that's going on here, but I do love when Spike says... I've known her since the 19th century. She made me. We've been loving and fighting and killing and bleeding together since the year they invented the light bulb. We break apart and get together as regular as the tide. Nice. And then later he says, my feelings for Drew cross time and space. They're immutable. Uh, and, you know, whatever he goes on. But there's something about the word immutable to describe their love that I just loved. Yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, what rhymes with immutable? <laughs> Inscrutable. <laughs> okay, where do we go? We have, I just want to make sure that we don't end this scene without me talking about how hard I laughed at Kurgan saying where vampires and humans will coexist in worship of their one and only god me <laughs> i fucking died i died um listen some people just want to watch the world burn mm -hmm. but some people some other people just want vampires and humans to coexist so that they can all worship their one true god mm -hmm. me yeah we talked, uh, you haven't heard, well, who knows if you've heard the conversation we had with Amber and Chris yet. Who knows? P probably you have not, and you will soon. Um, but I will say that one of my um, favorite parts of talking to them, one of the, my favorite little bits that we pulled in conversation was some of their thoughts about how um, they were thinking about folks who go in, who like sort of are like, I can fix the system from the inside. Um, like politicians who are like, I, I know this is how I can do it. I can just get in with all the evil guys and from the inside right. fix it. And that Kurgan is sort of like this, you know, mystical version of that, of this guy who felt in the beginning that he could get into the system, the evil system, to, like, uproot the evil. But then once he was inside of it, it's a slippery slope, and down he went. Um, and I hadn't thought of that at all in my listen, and I thought mm. it was a really cool lens for Kurgan uh, and for, I think, a lot of other characters. Um, but, yeah. I like that we also get the shift from Tara being, like, Drusilla and I are, you know are real like our love is real too well if drusilla walks into a trap and dies <laughs> well, well yeah agree agree uh things have changed <sighs> okay there's more training in the training room yes 
Cordelia, as soon as the words Cordelia and coffee are placed next to each other, I only think about how horrible the coffee that Cordelia made uh, in the show Angel was. (laughs) But it was like, no, it's like endearing, you know? It was like one of the things about Cordy that we all love that she made horrible. Well, and thankfully, Indira is making this coffee. Yeah. (laughs) I like that Indira wants Cordelia to tell her what it's like being the only slayer. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because Indira just became a slayer like five minutes ago. So she hasn't really become a part of the community. She's really only been a part of the fandom up to this point, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's not like she necessarily has like a, she doesn't have the firsthand experience of like experiencing that connection, right? With, with other slayers, but has this sense of like, in my world, it's always been like this for, since I was a little kid. It's always been this way. There's always been this sisterhood, this like squad, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But you just have yourself. And, you know, that was that was Buffy's reality for seven seasons Mm -hmm. um, before it, you know, was changed forever. Yeah. Yeah. And LaToya, this is sort of just like riffing off of that. I remembered a note from LaToya last episode, which um, there was a, a comment that it I think Indira made about like not being able to do this thing that she thought she might be able to do or someone saying like she wouldn't be doing that thing because she was a slayer now. And Latoya and her production notes had said like, but why can't Indira? Like it's not like Indira is the only slayer. Like if a slayer wants to pursue a different career, is the pressure now taken off? Can they just go to college if they'd like to go to college? Can they, do they have to, um, pick up the Slayer mantle if they are called or is there flexibility there? Yeah. Well, the person who says that is Cordelia, actually. Ah. In the last episode. Okay. Indira's talking about, like, having an interest in psychology and, and right. Cordelia says, well, if that was, like, your career plan, you can forget it now. And Cordelia doesn't have... That's true. Cordelia only knows what Buffy knew for most of the time that we spent with her in this series, which is, this is your calling and it's your life and there's not room for anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good point. So there's a clip here. Um, We almost opened with it, but we're going to put it in this scene conversation. And this is Cordelia is saying to Indira that when you're just answering this question, when you are the only, when you are the one, she says it's sort of like no one sees you. I, I actually really liked this piece of the line. Like no one sees you because you don't exist. You're just this thing, right? Like you are the slayer. And Mm. so the Mm -hmm. identity is so big that like who you are apart from that title is just invisible. And then she goes on and she says, It's funny. There was a time before I became the slayer when I worried about what other people thought. I behaved myself because that's what the world expected. So stupid to think I could ruin my life by speaking out or standing up for myself. I was so naive. But I learned. The people who want you to be quiet and toe the line are always the ones doing the bad stuff. They want us under their thumb and silent. But trust me, when the truth is revealed, they're the ones who will get burnt. And they deserve to be. I had originally, you know, Jenny and I talk about the sound clips we want to pull in and what's going to be the opening clip and so on and so forth. And I had originally marked this for the opening clip. And then that led to us having a conversation, which I 
found really important because obviously like at the core of this series or at least one of the things at the very core of this series is hashtag justice for Cordelia right um there it was a person at the helm of the arc of Cordelia's story uh, and that person made choices about the end of that character's life that were deeply upsetting to the fandom and still are so bringing back Cordelia and bringing back Cordelia as a slayer has inherent power that reaches outside of just the story itself. And I, when I heard this clip, I was like, well, there it is, right? Um, so stupid to think I could ruin my life by speaking out or standing up for myself. This is Charisma Carpenter, and she is talking about her experiences. And I was sort of swept up in that, which I think is fine and great, and I'm sure many of you were. But it made me not really think about the words themselves in the story itself, which is a bit confusing. Um, and and I, I, I think that, OK, so without saying too much, Jenny, I was thinking about Mulder and <laughs> you know how I love it. You know how like Scully's presence in Mulder's life at this point to the listeners, I've only watched one season of the show, but is to sort of say, hey, I'm here because you believe so deeply in this thing that sometimes you sort of like lose the thread, right? Like sometimes you lose your way because you you are here so much for this thing that it becomes like the biggest and loudest heartbeat. And I was thinking in a lot of ways, that's what's happening to me in this moment. Like I am here and I am here first and foremost for Cordelia, for charisma, for all of this message that I sort of lost the thread a little bit in looking at actually the story where I don't know that we, I don't know that we needed to hear this exactly like this to get the message. We're getting the message. Cordelia is back. She's a fucking slayer. That's the move. That's the go. And this is, you know, it wasn't even my opinion at first. It was my opinion, Jenny, after talking to you and, and what have you. And it doesn't need to be an opinion that folks share. But I, I felt it was really important when you sort of like pointed to that. Um, well, it's just that like, it feels a little bit disconnected from what's going on on mm -hmm. either side of it. And because it is, I think, so meaningful to the people who are writing and performing mm -hmm. this series, that it, it felt like just a little strange that it didn't like totally connect because like the idea like where they kind of land with it is that Indira's like are you telling me to misbehave so jerks like Drusilla don't keep the world down and Cordelia says always always misbehave and I feel like we just don't quite have enough mm -hmm. connective tissue that gets us from the big idea that Cordelia is putting forth and that I think the people making the show really want yeah. to communicate and I understand why and I, I value the idea I just wish that it felt um like it slotted in a little bit more like like it didn't um it feels uh like a dropping of the fourth wall mm -hmm. but I feel like there there maybe was a way to more seamlessly weave it in to the story do you know what I mean? I do. I, I mean, I think of, I think of course there was. I mean, that's what really struck me is like, of course there was, because it's not like you're taking um, any any character, any kind of narrative and trying to get this message to come out. I mean, 
this message of like standing up, speaking out, fighting back, that is the heartbeat of a slayer. So you really don't need to, it, it, it is where it's placed and it is what it's about. I think, and, it, and I, I do think that it could have been done in a way where it did, did both lifts without feeling like it was placed in a place that was a little bit confusing, right? Because are you telling me to misbehave so jerks like Drusilla Drusilla, like this would be the, the in this universe, I think this would be something about the council, something about the watchers, something about fill in the blank. So even a demon. Right. But like Drusilla being the thing that we're pivoting on just feels maybe like not exactly the place where it could have landed. And, you know, it's it's a little bit scary, I will say, to like talk about something like this because I have such high regard for the work being done here, why it's being done, the reason this is here, the power of this, the experience that I will never understand that these um, mm. folks in this mm. in this series went through, right? But um, but also it feels important to talk about it because I think and believe and hope and want for this universe to get a second spin. Like I do think that if this is more at the forefront of really thinking about how these stories already tell this tale and how to like just nail it down, that we will be getting closer to the thing that we know and love, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Or come for me. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't come for her. <laughs> Uh, I literally thought you were going to say, please don't come for me. And I was like, classic. And then you were so nice. <laughs> well, definitely don't come for me. I mean, there's there's simply nothing to come for me about. But but don't come for Kristen because um, I need her. Uh, she is my good friend. <laughs> Second best. Uh, speaking of friends, what I do love is that this leads directly into Indira being like, you're my friend, Cordelia. Whether you want to be or not. You don't have to say it back. Oh, so sweet. Best friends. Best friends. Best friends. Uh, and Cordelia says, fine, you win. We're friends. Are you happy now? I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I am happy too. <laughs> okay. Uh, in Spike's car, Spike, Drew, and Tara speeding towards the magic box. Spike and Drew are in the front. Spike is playing his tunes on the stereo. He's very pleased. He's got his arm around Drusilla. He says, just like old times, my arm around you, your girlfriend in the backseat. Tara's trying to, like, flag for Drusilla that Spike is in league with Cordelia. Drusilla's not interested in hearing it. And Spike is like, whatever happens, Drusilla... This has been great. Okay. This is the truth. That is the the God's honest truth. The Spike's honest truth. Um, I was going to say, I think that my favorite Tara Drew Spike situation is this one. I love the idea of them speeding together in a car and just like Spike and Tara like hating each other, but Drusilla being there and they both love Drusilla. Like that is exactly the kind of manifestation of the thruple that I would like to see more of. <laughs> um, I also really had a good laugh at Spike calling Tara Broomhilda. Um, and I looked up because I, I knew like I could picture Broomhilda in my mind, but I couldn't remember exactly her deal. And I looked up Broomhilda, um, which is an American newspaper comic strip created by this cartoonist, Russell Myers. Uh, this Wikipedia article on Broomhilda says, 
This comic strip depicts the misadventures of a man crazy, cigar smoking, beer guzzling, 1500 year old witch and her motley crew of friends. And I was like, sign me up. I I gotta get a look at this yeah. from Hilda. Yeah, you do. This lady is green, Kristen. She's green. It's funny because some of the pictures she's yellow, but I remembered oh. her green. Um, I just listen. I don't. I haven't read the comics. I'm sure there's a lot to discuss in the comics of Broomhilda, but the description <laughs> yeah. fucking got me. There's a picture of her, Jenny. Um, one of the illustrations of her, she's sitting on her broom. Uh, that it seems to be aloft in the air and her little tongue mm. is sticking out and she just has a can of beer in her hand. And I'm just like, give me a Broomhilda merch. Can I have pictures oh of gosh. Broomhilda in my house? Okay. So you're saying she's an alewife. She is, yeah, <laughs> truly. She's bringing the alewife full circle. Yeah. Um, okay, so they have 15 minions, a couple of SUVs and a rusty Chevy, I think, is the vibe. Um, they're... They're headed to attack the folks at the magic box. Um, I thought it was a little bit odd that Drusilla chose to talk about Spike as a part of her, like her liver, her hair, or her fingers, because that is almost the same verbiage used for Tara talking about Kurgan. Oh, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I don't know if we want to put those things on the same plane. Um, okay, so at the magic box, mm -hmm. spells being prepared. Anyanka threatening Giles's genitals if he should fail. Anya's like, that's not helpful. Ignore her, Giles. And Clem says, that's right, Giles. Don't think about your genitals at all. <laughs> Giles is just saying silently, the earth is doomed and shaking his head. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, hey, uh, they're getting ready, but... Whoa, they're interrupted. They've got company. Spike is outside, banging his pots and pans. He's all, Anya, Cordelia. <laughs> My favorite Anyanka line, I think, to date is when she's talking about Drusilla. And she says, she sounds so joyful. I almost hate to fight her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really captured the essence of Drusilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anya's like... Oh, are we sure Spike hasn't changed alliances? Clem's like, my BFF would never. Anyanka's like, well, he is reunited with the woman he was with when he felt happiest, strongest, and most free. That's <laughs> true. No lie detected. Zero. Zero. So I guess we'll see what happens. We only have one episode left, Jenny. I can't wait to find out yeah. what's going to go on. Yeah. What was your favorite audio in this episode, Kristen? I think my favorite audio, honestly, was the glass shatter at the end. I thought it was really good. Like, it just felt, mm. I felt like it was literally, I assume, a brick of some kind going through a window. And it it worked for me. Nice. What was, nice. You, what, what was yours, Jenny? Uh, now I'm suddenly bashful and afraid that we've heard this in a previous episode and I just failed to notice. But hearing the jingling of the bell that hangs mm -hmm. over the magic box door... Really got me. Yeah. I do think I do think that we've heard it, but it's hard for me to know now because I read on the script and sometimes it says that bell rings, but it doesn't always, you know what I mean? So I want to mm -hmm. say that we have heard it before, but I don't know. Listeners, tell us. And even if we have, Jenny, if it moved you this episode, that is when it moved I guess you. that's the thing, yeah. Speaking of ringing bells... <laughs> 
Welcome back to another installment of the Sexual Tension Awards. Here we are. Uh, God bless us, everyone. Tis the season. Listen. In slot number one, there are some feelings which cannot be replaced or improved upon. And one of them is when you are sitting with your arm around your girlfriend and her girlfriend is in the back seat, and your tunes are on the stereo, and the wind is in your hair, etc. Therefore, I give you in slot number one, Spike and Drusilla. Yes. In slot number two, continuing to desperately want to be separated from the dog element, but also be then perhaps re-merged with just one another privately mm-hmm. and it's none of our business get that it's damn Anya dog out of here you know <laughs> and on yanka get that damn dog out of here <laughs> and i've got one more nom Great. for this for this roundup in slot number three you know spike talks a lot about his love for drusilla uh transcending time and space and there is another love in this episode that does not care for the boundaries of chronology and the past, the present, the future. Okay. It's timeless. It's omnipresent. It's Clem and various retired snacks. <laughs> Perfect. He longs for them across the years. Yes, I love that. Beautiful. Please vote. Please, for the love of God, please vote. 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 Um, Please vote. Uh, you can do so by going to bufferingcast.com slash STA. That will lead you to the current Poll, we need your voice. Well, that is the penultimate episode of uh, Slayers, a Buffyverse story. Sure is. Still having a blast. Me too. I am so excited to talk to you about the final episode. Who, me, Jenny Owen Youngs, who, when she's not making podcasts with Kristen, is usually making music? Well, you can find my music by searching my name on your favorite digital music platform. You can give me a shout on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at Jenny Owen Youngs. Uh, or you could just talk to my very good friend, Kristen Russo, instead. Ah, that would be me, very good friend, Kristen Russo. When I'm not thinking all the time about my best friend, Jenny Owen Youngs, uh, I am usually working with and for LGBTQ communities. You can learn about my work on my website, kristinnoline.com, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. Use that spelling to find me on socials as well. Buffering the Vampire Slayers on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at BufferingCast. And you can Email us at hello at bufferingcast.com. You could support us. We would love it if you did. Tis the season, whatever that means. <laughs> On Patreon, patreon.com slash bufferingcast. We're in the middle of want take winter where we are watching last just last night. We watched Faith, Hope, and Trick as well as Bad Girls. Um, we've got another couple of sets of delicious episodes for you all coming in January and February. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. This episode was produced by Kristen Russo, Jenny Owen Youngs, and Latoya Ferguson with support from our consultant, Mackenzie McDade. It was edited by John Mark Nelson. Until next time. Ah, woo! Buckin, buckin, buckin. Buckin, buckin. Buck, 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 buck.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.